Welcome to another episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and today we're going to talk about shoulder dislocations, which you will definitely see in adolescence in the Pediatric Emergency Department. The general workflow for the shoulder dislocation is pain control, x-rays, perform the reduction maneuver, post-reduction x-rays, put them in a sling, and then send them home. All right, so shoulder dislocations represent about half of all major joint dislocations, but you see them less commonly in teenagers than you do in young adults. 95 plus percent of them are anterior or anterior inferior. It is very rare to see a shoulder dislocation in kids under 10 years of age. You're much more likely to see a fracture, but if you do see an isolated dislocation in like a seven-year-old, Consult ortho. The shoulder itself is inherently unstable, and it can dislocate when you've got a blow to the abducted, externally rotated extended arm. So think blocking a basketball shot, a blow to the posterior humerus, or a fall on the outstretched arm. I've seen all three of those mechanisms cause shoulder dislocations. And I'm really just going to focus on anterior dislocations because that's the one that you can reduce in the ED and that's the one you're most likely to see, especially in the pediatric emergency department. So on examination, you're going to see an arm that is slightly abducted and externally rotated, movement is resisted, and that normal rounded shoulder appearance is lost. So this is one where you have to get the patient disrobed and expose their upper torso so that you can see that asymmetry. The most common nerve palsy in association with anterior shoulder dislocations is the axillary nerve palsy. This is loss of sensation in that badge distribution over the bulk of the deltoid muscle that might show up on the boards. Should we get x-rays pre-reduction? Well, I kind of already spoiled it earlier, but uh, yes. And you should get a three-view shoulder x-ray before you try to reduce the dislocation, especially in first-time dislocations. Now, there was a study from Emond in academic emergency medicine back in 2004 when I was just starting residency that said if you had age over 40, first-time dislocation, and a traumatic mechanism, then you had a higher likelihood of fracture. But let's face it, in teenagers, some of them might actually have an open physis, so it's a good idea to get x-rays before dislocations. Some might say in the chronic dislocator, you don't really need x-rays first, just reduce them and then get the x-rays. So your practice may vary depending on where you work. Humerus neck fractures can definitely masquerade as a shoulder dislocation. And if you attempt to reduce those, you can increase the risk of AVN. So in short, in a teenager, especially if it's the first time dislocation, which statistically speaking is what you'll see in the pediatric emergency department, get an x-ray first. All right. Now on that x-ray, before you reduce or sometimes after, you may see one of two bony lesions. The first is the Bankart lesion. This is a little chip fracture in the bottom of the glenoid labrum, so kind of that socket part of the the shoulder. And this is seen especially in patients with repeated anterior inferior shoulder dislocations. The Hillsacks lesion is a concave depression in the cortex of the humeral head. It's like a little bite is taken out of the ice cream. Um, This is also seen in patients with multiple dislocations, and it is 
occurring when the humeral head forcefully impacts against the anterior inferior part of the glenoid rim. All right, so analgesia and sedation. If this is a recent, you know, like in the last 15 minutes or so, recurrent and non-traumatic dislocation, you can do it without any pain meds. Otherwise, you got to give them something. And this is either intranasal and or IV meds, intraarticular injections, which we'll talk about in a moment, and or procedural sedation if you need it. So intraarticular lidocaine in the glenerohumeral joint is a great idea, and it really improves pain. So you inject laterally with or without ultrasound guidance, one centimeter inferior to the acromion. Use about 20 mLs of 1% lidocaine with an 18-gauge or 20-gauge needle, and direct that needle medially and inferiorly two and a half to three centimeters deep. And again, if you've got somebody that knows how to do this with ultrasound, deploy them. In various randomized control trials, this actually has advantages over sedation. So I fully advocate for intraarticular lidocaine in the glenerohumeral joint. So which is the best technique when reducing a dislocated shoulder? I don't know. And actually, nobody knows. So really, the best technique is the technique that you think, A, the patient will tolerate, and B, you think will give you the best chance of reducing the shoulder. All right. Let's start by talking about scapular manipulation, which is well-tolerated, and it's a good first maneuver. It's a little bit hard to, to kind of describe and practice, so you really got to look at a diagram or look at a video before you do this the first time. And the patient can stay seated, upright at 90 degrees, the legs off the side of the bed. This is often a comfortable position for somebody who is dislocated. You're pushing the tip of the scapula medially and the acromion inferiorly using your thumbs. And then you're just rotating the scapula. An assistant is holding the wrist and providing gentle forward and downward traction on the arm. So this rotating the scapula and holding downward and forward traction on the arm can move the humerus back in place. One that you can do alone is external rotation. In contrast to scapular manipulation, external rotation starts with the patient supine with the elbow flexed at 90 degrees. So you have the patient laying on their back with their fist kind of pointed up towards the ceiling. You're grabbing the flexed elbow with one hand, you're holding the wrist with the other hand, and the patient is instructed to let their arm fall slowly to the side. So that fist that was pointing towards the ceiling kind of slowly falls out towards the wall. You'll get reduction at about 70 to 110 degrees external rotation, and it's subtle. There's not really a big clunk there. So that was external rotation. How about the milch technique? So this one actually follows unsuccessful external rotation. So remember, the patient is supine. You have that arm, which didn't get reduced. That fist started pointing towards the ceiling, and now it's fully externally rotated. You begin gently abducting that arm into a fully overhead position, so kind of raising that arm with the elbow still flexed above the head. You're applying traction in line with the humerus, and you're putting pressure over the humeral head via a thumb in the axilla. It's kind of like a tickle position. 
right? So that's Milch. And then there's Stimson. This is where you hang the patient with weight on their arm in a prone position. So you flip the patient onto their belly, you raise the bed up all the way, and then you attach weights securely to the patient's wrist with kind of a soft wrap, about 10 to 15 pounds, and you just let them lay there, and it can take up to 30 minutes for that shoulder to reduce. And then there's the Ferris technique. This is another supine position. You've got the patient laying flat on their back, and remember, the arm is extended and slightly abducted, so it's kind of laying at their side. So this can be done alone. You grab the wrist, and you gently abduct the arm while oscillating 10 centimeters up and down while externally rotating when you hit about 90 degrees. So that gentle oscillating maneuver can sometimes reduce the shoulder. There's lots more. This could be like a two-hour episode, but none of you would listen to that. And frankly, a lot of these are visual. So what I recommend is, especially if you haven't reduced that many shoulders or any at all, is to figure out what position the patient's going to be able to tolerate and then talk to your supervisor about which reduction technique they think will be most successful. You can reduce a shoulder without consulting orthopedics in the emergency department. And if there are orthopedists listening, I think they'll appreciate this. An emergency medicine physician or pediatric emergency medicine physician or a resident or a medical student can reduce a shoulder. I promise. Okay, so did you reduce it? Well, chances are your likelihood of success is really great. It's above 90% for anterior dislocation reduction attempts. Definitely get a post-reduction x-ray to evaluate for fractures and if you're uncertain if you succeeded. Patients should be placed in a sling and swath or shoulder immobilizer if you have them and see orthopedics within one week. Patients will remain immobilized for three weeks. The recurrence risk for shoulder dislocations is 50 to 90% in those under 20 years. There's a good chance it's going to happen again. Okay, so here is the basic walkthrough for a shoulder dislocation. Number one, pain control. These hurt quite a bit. It's a big joint. Number two, x-rays. Remember, a humeral neck fracture can masquerade as an anterior shoulder dislocation, and kids can have open physes. So in contrast to recurrent dislocators that are grown-ups, get an x-ray before you reduce a shoulder in a kid. Then perform the reduction maneuver that the patient can best tolerate and that you and your team think is most likely to be successful. Get post-reduction x-rays, sling and swath, or shoulder immobilizer if you have them, and then discharge to follow up with orthopedics within a week. All right, so that's all for this episode on shoulder dislocations, really focusing on the adolescent patient in the pediatric emergency department. If you want to read more great pediatric emergency medicine content, check out PEMblog.com. Follow me on Twitter at PEMTweets and check out the Facebook page. I would really appreciate the feedback, especially on episodes like these that have a component that requires a little bit of visualization and will definitely lead you to consider additional resources before you perform the procedure on an actual patient. So shoot me an email, send me a direct message on Twitter, or leave a review on your favorite podcast site. I'd really appreciate it. For PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, this has been Brad Soboleski. See you next time.